good morning. Is it still morning or afternoon? Still morning. Still morning. Good morning, Nashville Life and visitors. Um, I'm Pastor Love, and this is Pastor Cece, and we're the founding pastors here at Nashville Life. And thank you. How many know we serve a God of new beginnings? Well, today we have some announcements that we want to give. Yes, yes. We have great news for our family and our church as a body, and Pastor Alvin is going to come and share that news with us today. It's me again. Um, I've got some exciting news I'm happy to share. Uh, many of you guys don't know, some of you guys do, but I have been uh, building uh, an amazing relationship with an incredible woman at this church. <laughs> yeah. And her name is Jasmine San Martin. And I'm going to ask her to come out. Say hi to Jasmine, everybody. Uh, Monday, I asked Jasmine to marry me. And she said yes. She said yes. So, we're getting married. And uh, I'm so happy to be able to share this with all you guys. Uh, our we've been walking with a lot of leaders and pastors who've been giving us wisdom, and the wisdom that we got was to keep it pretty close to the chest while we were, you know, building it and getting to know each other and praying. But we're ready. So um, here we go. You want to say anything to your church? Yes. Yes. Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm Jasmine. For those of you guys who don't know me already. Um, and if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you guys. Um, I said this to the first service, and so I wanted to tell you guys I'm just so full of gratitude because God is just so good. Yeah. He's so faithful, and um, I'm just excited. I'm excited to see what he has in store for us, and I'm excited to spend the rest of my life with this amazing man. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, I just wanted to thank y'all from the bottom of my heart just for all your support and for your prayers and your encouragement because your prayers truly mean so much to us and it's just an honor to have y'all in our corner. So thank you guys. Pray for us. Uh, we don't have a date set. We're going to get into premarital and tackle the details soon, but uh, I want y'all to know this so y'all can celebrate and enjoy the love the love we've got, but thank you, thank you. Thanks, mom and dad. I know they're happy. Um, yeah, praise the Lord is right. Hallelujah. I think I'm gonna preach better as a married man. Looking forward to that. Hallelujah. Speaking of preaching, let's get into the word. Uh, repeat these words after me if you can. Uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. So the theme for 2022 is withstanding the wind. Nashville Life likes to have a theme 
every year. And in case you're new or coming for the first time, the theme for 2022 is Withstanding the Wind. And it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And this is John the Baptist talking. And he's talking about Jesus. And this is how he describes Jesus. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this is a metaphor that John is using. He's giving us insight about Jesus and the work of Jesus. Jesus is a harvester. He's harvesting people. That's what the church is. It's a gathering of his believers that he's going to come back for, and it's going to be his bride, and he's going to take us to be with him for eternity. But his harvesting process involves uh, something very similar to what a harvester of wheat does, and that's a process called winnowing, where you use winds to identify what truly the harvest is. And every harvest with wheat, there's chaff and there's wheat. And it's important that that separation happens because chaff is not really a part of the harvest. It's just the outer layer of the wheat, and that part needs to be blown away. And wind works because chaff is very light, it's very loose, and it's easily blown away by wind. On the contrary, weight sorry, wheat, has a weight to it that's able to withstand the wind. So just like a harvester uses wind to identify his harvest, John is letting us know that Jesus is allowing winds to blow through his harvest. There's figurative winds that are blowing throughout the church, and it's, they're challenging, and they're meant to be challenging. But the good thing about winds is they identify who truly has faith in Jesus, and who might be in the harvest for different reasons. So what the winds do is they, they, they blow away what's really not of Jesus, what really isn't with him. But it, it, it challenges the wheat. It challenges the true harvest. But the cool thing about it is after the wind blows, the harvest will still be there. So I think this is important information for the church to understand, A, so we can comprehend why all of these trials and winds seem to come against our faith, and we can know the purpose behind them. But it's also important for us to know so that we can train. There's a lot in Scripture in the New Testament that talks about training ourselves in our faith. So when these winds come, not if, but when they come, and they come often, and they come strong, but when we train and when we really develop our faith, we'll find ourselves being able to withstand these winds. And we're talking about a different wind every month. That's kind of how we're building out this year. Each month we focus on a wind. Last, last month, May, was the wind of change. And we talked about how change can be challenging to our faith. This month, for the month of June, it's a new wind. I always have people say, what's the wind? What's the next wind? Uh, well, the next wind is the wind of doctrine. The wind of doctrine. The definition in Webster of doctrine is a principle or position or, sorry, yeah, a principle or position or the body of principles in a branch of knowledge 
or system of belief, a statement of fundamental government policy, especially in international relations. And then the last one is something that is taught. So that's how Webster defines doctrine. It's the, it's the principles of beliefs within a group, within an organization, within a system. And for this case, doctrine for us would be within the Christian faith, within the church. Ephesians 4, chapter 14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, I was a little hesitant to talk on this because we're already in such a skeptical culture, um, a lot of distrust, even towards the church and authority in general, and I was hesitant to bring in attention to the fact that there are opposing doctrines within the body of Christ that can really be rooted in deceptive schemes. Uh, but we're not called to live by fear. We're called to live by faith. And my faith tells me that if it's in the word of God, it's truth. And if it's truth, it'll liberate us. If it's God's word, it's going to feed our faith and not our doubt. If it's God's word, it's going to build our trust in God and not stir up more skepticism. So I have to step out on faith and trust that since this is in the Bible, it must be important for us. And we need to understand this again so that we can be better and so that we can be more fruitful. Today is the day that the body of Christ celebrates Pentecost. Uh, many people call it Pentecost Sunday. And essentially the reason why it's Pentecost Sunday today is because of the day of Pentecost that we read about in Scripture happened 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave. And today marks 50 days after we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. It's been 50 days since Easter. Time is flying. Um, so since we're talking about different doctrine, doctrines, uh, and it's the day of Pentecost, I felt like it was a perfect day to talk about the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now before I start, this doctrine is simple. It's a simple doctrine. It's literally built to where young children can receive this. So it's it, is, it was intentionally made simple, but like most things in Christ, the enemy comes and tries to distort simple, pure, beautiful things into something complicated, into something abstract and unaccessible, and we're just not going to let him win today. This is a simple doctrine. It's beautiful. And not only is the baptism of the Holy Spirit considered a simple doctrine, it's actually in Scripture referred to as an elementary doctrine. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, 
let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. The writer of Hebrews regards to the baptism, the doctrine of baptisms, as elementary. But the key word is not, he said elementary principles, which means things that are elementary, though they are elementary, they are still foundational. And when it comes to elementary things, guys, despite it being simple, it's what we build our whole lives on. I'm assuming everyone here went to elementary school. I don't, maybe I shouldn't. Um, but most of us have. I can assume that most of us have been through elementary school. And all of the things that we've learned were built on what we learned in elementary school. We learned our numbers. We learned alphabet. We learned how to read. We learned addition, subtraction. And we use that stuff every day. We don't think about it because it's so in us. But we are building on the foundations of the elementary things. And my fear, what I discern is that much of the body of Christ, it's almost like we are trying to get our PhD without having gone to fourth grade. And there's a dysfunction in the way that we're being built because we're neglecting elementary things and we're shooting for the stars and the higher education, but there's some major basic things that much of the church is overlooking. And I believe the doctrine of baptisms is one of them. Now, it says doctrine of baptisms, plural, which implies more than one. There's John's baptism, which is baptism in water. And that baptism happened before Jesus uh, went to the cross and died for our sins. And it's referred to in Scripture. And then there's the baptism into Christ that happens when a Christian comes to the Lord. When we get baptized in water, we're being baptized into Christ. We're dying to who we were, and we're coming up alive in Jesus. But then there's another one that Jesus refers to, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism means to immerse. It means to totally be submerged in, not sprinkled, not splashed. But it's symbolic of our identity in Jesus. We're not just sprinkled with Jesus. We are totally in him, right? So baptism matches and reflects that truth. That symbolizes the reality that we have been born again. We're not just kind of touched by God. We are born in God when we become Christians. So when you're baptized into Christ, you are immersed in water. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. And the way we learn doctrine is simple. Sometimes the word doctrine can be very intimidating, and we end up thinking that you have to be, you know, you have to have two PhDs and be a known theologian to understand doctrine. And I just personally don't believe that. I believe that doctrine has been made clear in Scripture, and Jesus, being the good shepherd he is, is very clear, and he wants us to follow him. I don't think that he's made it to where we have to jump through all these hoops just to understand how to follow him. He says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. 
The word is clear. Sometimes our minds aren't always clear and our hearts aren't always clear, but the Bible is very clear. Jesus commands us all to be baptized in water. And he says for us to be baptized, and that's a command, and I believe that it's obedient. I don't believe you have to feel led to do it. I don't have to feel like you have to have a dream or a confirmation. I believe it's an act of obedience. And if you haven't been baptized in water and you're a Christian, you're currently in disobedience. But he also promises us another baptism, and he describes well, John the Baptist describes it, and I'm going to read John's reference to it, and then I'm going to read Jesus's later. John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, which is actually the verse before our foundational verse for the year, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he's talking about Jesus, who is mightier than I, amen, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we've heard one element about water, got that. And then he says, but there is another baptism that Jesus is going to do, and that involves fire. The first time the Holy Spirit baptized people in Scripture, was the day of Pentecost, the day that this day is celebrating, Pentecost Sunday. And this was a foundational day for the church. Not just the Pentecostal church, but the church. If you are in the body of Christ, the day of Pentecost was a foundational day for what you're a part of. I mean, the fact that there is even a Pentecostal church lets me know that we've made a turn somewhere and it's been because of different doctrines that have caused division when I don't believe that division was ever meant to be. And my proof of that is John 17. Jesus said he wanted the believers as united as he was with the Father. You can't tell me he wanted all these different sects and divisions. Somewhere along the line, Pentecost went from being foundational to categorical. It went from being elementary to advanced and even extreme. It went from being basic to complicated. It went from being normal to being niche. And I think I know why. I think I, I think I know why. It's in Scripture, and I was reading. I'm like, it all makes sense now. So let me share with, with, with you all what helped it click for me. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think the issue is speaking in tongues. I just believe that that is where people go, that's where, you, that's where I draw the line. Holy Spirit, cool. Jesus, great. God, yes. Forgiveness, resurrection from the dead, yes. Tongues, uh-uh. And I think that uh-uh is what really initiated a lot of these, to where now those that do is considered like those, those people opposed to us. I don't think this is a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that tongues is such the point of division in the church. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 4 through 8. James says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This next part's amazing. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. That stain that we said the blood of Jesus washes away, the scripture says the tongue causes that stain. Setting on fire the entire course of life and, sorry, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Not just evil, but it's an evil that never gets tired. It never needs a break. Full of deadly poison. James said, you have a better chance taming a killer shark, a great white shark, than you are to tame your tongue. Wild monkeys can be tamed more easily than this right here. The same reason why I can understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves speaking in tongues is the same reason why I can understand that the devil doesn't want us to do it. I believe God and the devil both know the same things. I think both of them know how evil the tongue is. James said the tongue is a fire, and it's an evil fire. The fire comes from hell, James said. 
that's in our tongue. Both know that. God understands that and the devil understands that. The next thing they both understand is the tongue has incredible potential of what it can do. The tongue can bless and it can curse. The tongue can bless a life and change a life for the better and a tongue can ruin a life. They both have that power. The potential, it's equal opportunity. And they understand the tongue's impact on our life. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. I believe God knows our tongues are evil. I believe he knows its impact on our lives. And I believe he knows how much ground that we can make for the kingdom of God if our tongues are yielded to him. I believe the devil knows our tongues are evil. I believe he knows the impact on our lives, its impact on our lives. And I believe he knows the, the ground that we can gain for the kingdom if it's yielded to this one. So the same passion that I believe the Lord is using to lead us to this event is the same passion I believe that the enemy is using to keep us away from it. And I believe he does it through deceptive things and winds of strange doctrine that makes it unaccessible, that makes it unappealing, and that makes it unnecessary. Things like, doctrines like, speaking tongues is not real. Doctrines like, it died years ago. Doctrines like, not everybody can do it. Doctrine like, not everybody should do it. Doctrines like speaking in tongues is a sin. Doctrines like speaking in tongues is required to be saved. Doctrines like speaking in tongues can only be done if someone can interpret it. Doctrines like it has to be accompanied with shaking and tears. Doctrines like you have to wait a long time and work real hard to finally get it. Doctrines like it's only for certain races. Doctrines like it's only for certain levels of class. Doctrines like it's not for the intelligent. Doctrines like it must be done loudly. Doctrines like if God wants it to happen, he's just going to make it happen without me doing anything or thinking anything or choosing anything. Doctrines like it's demonic possession. Doctrine like you can't do it on your own. And doctrine that says you can't do it when you're with other people. All of these doctrines are false. And they're not just false because I want them to be false. They're false because they don't line up with the totality of Scripture. And when I say the totality of Scripture, I mean the totality of Scripture. I don't even necessarily mean you have to read the whole Bible. I'm even asking for some of y'all to read the whole chapter. I mean, we'll get to the whole Bible, but some, you, you'd be amazed at how many denominations and theologies have been built on one passage. When two passages, sometimes the very next passage says something that would totally debunk the whole belief. I'm like, we're reading verses. If we would learn to digest the whole word, we will see a balance. We will see where the truth is. Yes, what you believe is in the Bible, but the very next verse 
sometimes. Truth is a lot more simple. There's a scripture where Paul says, I fear that the enemy has deceived you guys from the simplicity that is Christ. Y'all, I can't stress it enough. The Lord has built salvation. The Lord has built this entire kingdom of God in a way to where we little children can receive it fully. You can't tell me that something that a six-year-old can receive is too lofty for your 35-year-old brain. I just don't accept it, and you shouldn't accept it. Come on, y'all. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Hallelujah. Jesus says, and while staying with them, sorry, he didn't say this. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them. He's talking about the disciples. At this point, guys, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's appeared to the disciples. He's given them the great commission, and he's about to ascend to heaven. But before he does, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, and this is what Jesus said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, and praise God for water baptism. This is no discredit or disrespect because water baptism serves a very specific purpose. That's how you're regenerated. That's how you die to the flesh. That's how you're raised to life in Christ. You've got to repent. You've got to be born again. And baptism in water represents that decision. Hugely important. But there's a but, which means it's not over. And too many of us have put a period to the sentence when there was really a but, which means there's more. He says, Jesus, for John baptized with water, but you, Jesus says, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the very thing that John prophesied. He says, I'm baptizing you guys with water, but Jesus is going to do a fire baptism. And this is the fire baptism that Jesus, that John was referring to. We've reached the day. We're almost at the day of Pentecost. Jesus had risen from the grave, guys. I mean, imagine knowing that seeing Jesus die on the cross and seeing him raised from the dead and seeing him in the flesh, seeing the risen Jesus walking with you, talking to your physical senses. This is not a dream. This is not a trance. You are seeing him live in the flesh. You are hearing him with your ears. You're eating fish with him and laughing and telling jokes with him. And this is the man that was just dead a few days ago. You can't tell me that these disciples' faith was as strong as it could possibly be. You can't tell me that they weren't super confident that Jesus was the risen king. You can't tell me they weren't full of excitement and, and vigor and, and readiness to go out and tell people the incredible news that Jesus had risen from the grave. I, can't, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would see Jesus physically and not feel confident in telling someone what they saw and telling, telling someone what happened in their lives. 
But despite this confidence that I know the disciples had, despite the faith that I could only imagine was super strong after seeing Jesus, someone who was dead and now alive, not to mention seeing him ascend into heaven, I mean, how much more would you have to see to be a confident believer in Jesus? And despite this confidence, I can only imagine they had, Jesus said, not yet. He said, there's a but. There's one more thing that needs to happen for you guys to accomplish the task that I'm assigning you to do. That assignment was the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. And in case you don't understand what he's given, the job that he's given the disciples to do, it's basically find people who currently don't believe in Jesus, have no regard to him, and not only compel them with the word of God to believe in Jesus, but to stop living for themselves and to live for Jesus, to crucify their flesh and live in the spirit, to stop complaining and start praising to stop thinking of the life, not to, to stop uh, basically living in sin, living in righteousness, to go from living undisciplined, wild lives to very disciplined lives. That's a hard job. I don't think you guys understand how hard of a job that is to get human beings who just got described in James as having tongues of evil fire, <laughs> basically these dragons... <laughs> human dragons, and getting them to live consecrated, broken, humble, obedient, holy lives, that's what making disciples is. It's making people who are, have no regard to God discipline followers of Christ. And the Lord said, y'all have to do it. He goes, I'll be with you. But you got to do it. I always teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in context to the job that we've been given. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm fully convinced that it's totally connected to the job that you've been assigned as a Christian. It has nothing to do with the Lord forgiving you of your sins that's what turning to Jesus is. That's what the water baptism represents. This is all about a task that we've been given. Most of us here have jobs. And depending on the job that you have, there's some sort of process usually, whether it's orientation, whether it's training. Sometimes some of you guys get a company laptop. Some people get a company van. Like, you get the things that you need. If you're a delivery person, then they provide things for you to be able to do your job. If you work with computers, usually they provide you what you need for the job. There's provision for the task. Why? Because it's for the company's benefit that you are set up for success. It's for the company's benefit that you know how to execute the job accurately. Jesus is a good employer. Jesus doesn't set us out ill-equipped. He goes, there is a very hard job that exceeds the ability of your talent and your confidence and your personality and your motivation and all the things that are of you 
This job is too much for that. This is not just a surface job. I'm giving you guys access into the hearts of men, into the mindsets of men. I'm, I'm giving you guys the ability to actually change the identity of people and make disciples out of people who weren't. You guys have to have a special power for that. I don't care how much of an extrovert you are, you will never love people the way that you need to love people to make disciples. I don't care how happy you are, you will never have a joy amount that's strong enough to keep you encouraged in the challenge of making disciples. I don't care what your, I don't care how bubbly your personality is. I don't care how talented or smart you are. You will never have an intellect that will be able to cut through the spiritual chains that are in people's lives. You have to have power from on high, which is why Jesus says you can't start yet. I need you guys to wait because there's going to be something that's going to endow you with power. And it's going to cause you to execute the call that I've given you accurately. The problem is there's many people who are saying yes to the call, but they haven't waited for what the Lord said they have to get, the equipment. They're not being equipped. So there's people, basically this passage where he says don't wait. Sometimes I feel like many people in the church are Let's say we were in this passage, and he says, wait for the promise. Your guy's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then there was that one guy, we'll call him, we'll call him Tim. And Tim is like, are you kidding me? Wait, people need to know about Jesus. I just saw you risen from the grave. I'm ready. Guys, y'all can wait. I'm going to go sp spread the gospel. And he goes out in his own strength, good intent, but his own strength, does, does, what, does what he want to happen good? Yes, but he's not properly equipped. So he ends up having to draw from his own goods. And there's too many people who are drawing from their own well to do something where the Lord says, I've provided you fire from heaven for. And we're like, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just do a lot of jumping jacks and I'll listen to some hype music and I'll, that's the fire I need. I'm pumped up, I'm pumped up, I'm pumped up. And we go out in this, like, human pump, and we realize while we're totally burnt out, or we get into a situation where there's literally demonic activity. By the way, every person that you know who's not a believer has evil spirits involved in their life. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying you should avoid them. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. You need to engage with them. However, you have to understand that the Lord knows that you're going into a wolf's den. And if you don't have the, pop, the proper power that's been ordained from heaven, you will get eaten alive. Which is why many of you guys aren't in ministry yet because you know it's just like, this is too much. Yes, you're right. It is too much. Which is why we must receive the full giftings and the full power to be able to navigate these dark and scary waters. The Bible says that when we bring people to Jesus, we're actually snatching them out of hell. You can't snatch people out of hell without reaching into hell. And we're reaching into hellfire without holy fire, and we're all getting burnt up. 
The only fire that is strong enough to conquer hellfire is holy fire. And the way the holy fire came was on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that fire came upon them. And now they had their own fire to counteract the fire of hell that they were called to go into. Christians are called to go into the fires of hell to pull people out. But if we're not equipped, guys, it's a joke. Flesh can't endure hellfire. Flesh must be endowed with God's fire. And then you get to go in and come out alive. Come out with more people. That's the call of God on every Christian's life. I don't think many people, and that's another thing that we should talk about. There's, there's not enough talk about our job. Too many people are getting saved and never being told that they now have a job. When you are saved by Jesus, you immediately inherit a job. You, the Bible says that the minute that you receive the ministry of reconciliation, you are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Every person who calls themselves saved here has a job, and there's an expectation on your life. And I apologize if no one's told you this before, but I'm so glad you're here today. You have a job. And the job is hard. And I feel like that's probably why another disconnect happens when it comes to the uh, with tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because if you've never been told that you have a job, then equipment for the job seems irrelevant. It's like, why do I need equipment for a job that I don't even have? That's how many of us are thinking subconsciously in our hearts. No one's told you that you have a job. So therefore, the equipment for the job is like, no thanks. And I get it. Without the job, I don't think we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't need it to be saved. Salvation is by grace. The blood of Jesus did it. You are, your name is written in the book of life before you talk anything in tongues. Praise God. Which is why I said it's a false doctrine to teach that you're not saved until you do it. I've heard people say that's what they believed. And I'm sorry, that is, that is, that is false. They believed before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to the job, I'd be a bad pastor if I didn't urge for you all to be equipped with the proper power for the task that you have. Jesus says, wait before they started this commission. Wait for a special power that was going to come from him. And this power would give the disciples power to do great things. And I'm not just talking about great things that like, you know, that your, like your kid drew a nice drawing and did great things. Like, I'm not talking about like helping ladies across the street, which that's a great thing. I'm talking about supernatural things. Things that defy humanity. Things that defy the human limits of what you thought you could do. I, I just can't tell you how much we are under living the, the call of God on our lives as the body of Christ. Our light is meant to shine way brighter than it is. And there's a bushel on it. And I believe that bushel is some of these doctrines where we're, we're, we're bypassing basic foundational things that are supposed to give, give us the fullness of the call on our lives as believers, as ambassadors of Christ. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. And he, talking about Jesus, our Savior, the one that we love, 
the one that we're here for. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Hallelujah. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak, which first of all, should not be as radical as it is. Casting out spirits should not be as extreme as it is in our culture. I believe that it's for all of us. And I believe that we've been given the authority to do it. Now, do we need to learn how to go to God? Yes, the Lord, that's why, that's why disciple making is so important. The Lord will train you, but it's still your job. Just because you're not trained doesn't mean that you can say it's not your job. It means get trained. <laughs> they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, which we already covered. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, when it comes to the serpents and the poison, essentially, when you sign up to say, I'm going to build the kingdom of God, and I'm going to start to win souls to Jesus, you have immediately become a target to the devil. You have immediately become enemy number one. He wants you dead. And the cool thing about Jesus, he goes, as no matter what dangers you come across, when you step out in obedience with me, I will make sure that no weapon formed against you will prosper. I will make sure that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. It doesn't matter what kind of plot from hell comes against you. When you are obeying the Lord and you're, you're building his kingdom, he says, I will see to it that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, some of us understand even subconsciously that if I start to step out and really start to be effective for Jesus, Satan is going to really uh, attack me. And you're right, <laughs> but I'm telling you, let me tell you what helps me. I would rather be an enemy of Satan and the target of his uh, attacks than under his custody and disobedience. Some of us... Some of us are dreading obedience because we know the enemy is going to hate us. But, guys, if he doesn't hate you, something is wrong. If he feels comfortable with you, if he's like, yeah, he's good. Like, you don't want the enemy to say that, oh, Alvin, he's fine. What we need to worry about is Dino. Man, Alvin, don't, no worries, no threat here. But Dino, oh, man, when he comes out, I need five demons after him because he's carrying the fire of God and he's not playing around. I'd rather be Dino than, oh, Alvin's fine. In fact, he's probably going to help us out. Some of us need to understand it is better to be targeted by the devil than under the safety and care of his custody. Yeah, it is one or the other. There's no neutral, just so you know. <laughs> Satan's fine with lukewarm. It's Jesus that spits it out. Guys, this is a war. I know you've been born again into a great family, 
but you've been born into a war, and now you're on the opposite side of what you used to be on. Satan sees us as traitors, so he really hates us because we were born in sin. We all were under his authority before we got saved. So we're like the guy that was on the old team that moved to the other team. It's like, oh, we're really going to take him down. So when we're born again, we are now on this side, and we have an assignment to destroy the works of the enemy by loving our neighbor, by loving our enemies, by sharing the good news of Jesus, by asking for forgiveness, by humbling ourselves, by not gossiping for each other, by inviting people to church, by feeding the hungry. This is how we counteract the enemy. But it can't be done out of your good intentions. It can't be done out of your human righteousness. Paul has a very vulgar description of what human righteousness is. Don't serve Jesus out of your own human good. You die to that. There is, Paul says there is nothing righteous in and of myself. And we are building a church where people are drawing from their own well, trying to do a supernatural work that only Jesus can do. And we're wondering why we're not succeeding. And we're wondering why we feel like quitting. And we're wondering why people are falling away from the faith. There's winds of doctrine, guys, that are making us think that things that are blessings are actual curses. These winds of doctrine are making us think that things that we're supposed to be pursuing should be things that we should be staying away from. Are y'all okay? Um, hmm. Remember I talked about the whole idea of if God wants me to have it, he'll just make it happen. Guys, that's not biblical. You will find nowhere in Scripture where without any control it happened. The Bible says they spoke as the Spirit gave them the ability. Some of us are waiting for God to take our mouths and start going like this. And if you're waiting for that, you will be waiting until you die. Scripture says that they spoke as the Spirit gave them the ability. It's a partnership. The Bible also says when we pray in tongues, we're praying to God. And it builds up our most holy faith is what Jude says. It stirs us up with a holy fire that gives us the ability to tackle the hell fire that we're called to. Every time we pray in tongues, it's like we've been, it's like you're lifting weights in the Spirit. It stirs you up. It warms you up and it gets you ready and every, I'm telling you, I can feel so depleted, I can feel so weary, and I pray in tongues, and it's like a fire starter. And I'm like, oh, I'm awake, let's go. I'm ready. It's like our coffee. But y'all, come on, let me talk about, guys, the church, don't depend on coffee for your spiritual fire. If some of us prayed in tongues more, I bet you, you probably won't be that dependent on the coffee. It stirs us up, guys. It builds us up with God's power. And yes, you aren't supposed to just go to people and just talk in tongues. That's called, Paul brought the theology of common sense. Paul's words, people use that word, people use, first of all, 
it always makes me laugh that the people who are anti-tongues uses quotes from the very same person that says, I love it, and I want all you guys to do it. Like, think about who you're quoting. And he brings common sense. Basically, no, we're not all supposed to be just going off in tongues here. Because think about tongues, the Bible says, not only do other people not know what we're saying, we don't even know what we're saying. And I love speaking in tongues, but if I go to Kendall and I'm just going off in tongues, he'll just be like, cool, God bless you. <laughs> like, he's not going to know what I'm saying. So Paul says, when you talk, when you address each other, say, talk in English to Kendall. If he speaks Spanish, talk Spanish or whatever. Talk in a way they can understand because that's just common sense. But when we're in our secret place with the Lord and we're getting fed by the Spirit, Paul says, oh, man, I do it all the time. How do you think he was able to endure being arrested almost every other day, being whipped, and still come out saying, who else are we going to minister to? That is not a personality trait. That is not an Enneagram number. That is the fire of God that only comes from him. And tongues, guys, reading James 3 makes perfect sense why the Lord said, i got to get to their tongue. Because our tongue without the fire of God is fire from hell. And it steers our whole life. So it makes perfect sense. When I read James 3, I said, no wonder you want us speaking in tongues. It makes perfect sense. Because the tongue on its own is full of evil. And that applies to Christians too, by the way. There's some cussing Christians out here. There's some really negative talking Christians. Super pessimistic. Never speaking praises. Always complaining. Guys, being saved. It says no one can tame this thing. None of us. The only containment is God himself. Um, I'm wrapping up. But honestly, guys, I feel like I need to say this and I'll be done. <laughs> no, just watch YouTube and we can do it again. Just watch it again. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. I'm having fun too. Um, the goal, everything goes back to the love of God. The goal I'm pushing here is not just to have a room full of tongue-talking believers. It's the fruit of people in your life being set free and coming to know Jesus that we're after. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He wants people saved. He wants people out of hell. 
He wants people out of bondage. He wants people at his table. He wants to enlarge his family. And I guarantee you that all of you know at least six people that Jesus wants to know him. Tongues didn't come first. The great commission came first. The job was to go and get people to know me. And since you're going out and it's going to be pretty dark, you need power from me so that you can execute the job and not die doing it. So, yes, I believe that tongues is a fire starter. I believe it activates the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe when you ask for it, it happens. But just like the debit card that I got that has access to my account, I can run that thing all day, but it doesn't work until I activate it. I have to call that number, and I have to say activate, and it activates. Just like if we had a car outside, that car is ours. We have the keys, but we can't even use that car until we put the key into the ignition until we activate it, it's just a car that we have. I believe when you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's yours. You've got the car. You've got the debit card. But I do believe, according to the word of God, that when we speak in the tongues, it activates it. And that fire is now usable in our lives. And it's not just a one-time thing. Just like the debit card is a one-time thing and the car is a one-time thing. We can activate it. Every day, we'll find ourselves operating in the fire of God and still living normal lives. Look at me. I'm normal. I mean, kind of. <laughs> I'm normal. You walk. I'm not saying you got to walk into work. In fact, I'm saying don't walk into work. Don't, don't do that. You do that in the car. You do that at home. And then you walk in. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good to see you all. And then you start living your life. Invite people to lunch. Start talking to them. You'd be amazed. This is for ministry. It's not about your identity in Christ. This is about the ministry that we've all been given. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the day of Pentecost. I thank you, Lord, for, for this foundational event, Lord, that has just produced the most amazing move of God throughout the centuries, God. And I just thank you, Lord, that there is still so much work that you want to do through your church and I believe, Lord, that, that it's your will that we understand this, this foundational, even elementary aspect of the faith, God. And I pray, Lord, that, that we won't bypass the elementary things, Lord, but we'll, but we'll stand on it and build on it. Lord, I believe the doctrine of baptisms is something that's foundational in a believer's life. Lord, so if there's any believers here who, who might need to reassess their foundation and, and, and experience this, Lord, I pray that for the sake of what they're building, Lord, it would, it would happen. Lord, and I pray, God, that your grace would give us, Lord, the, the peace and the, the motivation that we need, God, to, to depend on your fire. Lord, I uh, thank you, Lord, that, that as unruly as our tongues are, Lord, you have the power to tame our tongue and to make it holy and to guide it to where we can walk in your will in ways that actually make a difference in our lives and the lives of others. Lord, I rebuke all condemnation. I rebuke all confusion. I rebuke all guilt. Lord, I rebuke all pride. 
I rebuke all religious spirits. Lord, I rebuke anything that wants to distort the simplicity and the purity of you, Jesus. You are simple, you are pure, and you've given us access, full access to your presence, God. So I pray that the faith in this room and the love of God in this room would be strong, and I pray, Lord, that it would drive people to move forward in the ministries that you've called for them. Lord, I know there's so much you want to do through each individual here. And, Lord, we see in your word that you've given us the equipment that we need. You've given us the power that we need. And I just pray, Lord, that we would follow suit according to your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask us all to stand. And we're going to approach God's throne. And the first thing I want to do is lead us in a prayer of salvation. Because I don't want to assume that anybody here has made Jesus Lord. And there's no sense in talking about your ministry if you haven't received the ministry of reconciliation. There's no sense in talking about your assignment if you haven't said yes to the one who gave you the assignment. So let's repeat after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's just celebrate being born again. Let's celebrate the mercy of Jesus. Let's lift up a sound of praise. Let's show God that we're grateful. He saved us. Awesome. First things first. Now this next part. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer for those who choose to, to join. And it's like, it's like the last one. Everyone can pray it together. And what it's going to be is just a prayer for the Lord Jesus to, to baptize you in that fire, in that spirit. And we're going to end it there. And before I pray, I'll tell you this. When it comes to the activation, when it comes to actually stepping out and speaking in tongues, um, I've seen it happen in various ways. I've laid hands on people and it's happened right then and there. I've gone to coffee with people and said, hey, try it when you go home and call me, text me if you do it. So people have done it by themselves. People have done it in group settings. I don't believe laying hands is required, but I believe scripture shows that it can happen that way. But I also know it's happened without people laying hands. Uh, so I'm going to pray this. If you want to ask for it, I believe you'll, ask, you'll get what you ask for. And for those of you who are scared, I love this scripture. The Bible says if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. So if you ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you ask, he's not going to give you something else. He's going to give you what you want. He's going to give you what you ask for, and it's going to bless you. So let's just say, Lord Jesus, I ask 
that you baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Give me the ability to speak in a language that I don't understand. Lord, I'm asking this for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you said yes to Jesus, text BELONG to 77411. We would love to connect with you. If you would like to learn more about the church, we're about to start Next Steps. I'm leading it. I'm just going to share the vision of the church very briefly. Uh, on the third floor, one floor up, please come join us. If you would like to give to Nashville Life, thank you in advance. Uh, you can text Nashville Life to 77411, or you can give an offering on your, on your way out in the lobby. We appreciate it. Thank you in advance. And if you have a prayer request, we've got a prayer team that's going to be right here where we dismiss. And you can also submit a prayer request online. Our team prays for all the requests that come in, so, and it's confidential, so whatever you need prayer for, let us know. And I love you guys. I'm so honored y'all are here. And let's, let's just close out. Father, I thank you again for the word. I pray, Lord, for it to transform the hearts of everyone who's in here, Lord, so it not only blesses them, but it blesses others who know them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. I'm engaged. <laughs>